Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, all right, all right. Welcome in to another episode of Hockey Royalty Live, the official podcast of HockeyRoyalty.com. We got a heck of an episode for you guys today. We're going to be doing our first session of Making It Rain. So Kyle will be joining us today. We're going to be talking about around the Pacific, the shakeups within the division, talking Kings, mixing up the middle six, getting in the chat here, talking goalies in between the pipes. You know what to do. Like, subscribe. And let's go. All right, all right, all right. Chat is ready to go. Al Smith, let's go, let's go. I know we were 30 seconds late. I apologize. <laughs> Trapper nine coming in here. I'm ready. RB, what is up? Uh, Skank master going, what is going on? It's time to talk some LA Kings hockey. Go Kings. Go leave. Let's go leave. Thank you for helping us out here. Drop some likes boys and girls. Appreciate that. Every single like every single comment in the chat helps the algorithms draw more people to our channel. More Kings fans getting started out here, packing those arenas. Uh, Trapper just wants to say, Hey guys, he was ready. And now he's saying, Hey guys, what's up trap? And yes, Avishan <laughs> coming in here with a with a drawn out. Yes, I'm ready to go too. So, oh, we got a little last minute. Let's go. Uh, but we missed last week, boys. Just couldn't figure out the scheduling, so we got extra king stuff. But it kind of worked out because uh, we had a big move, a shift in the lines. We'll get to that later on in the chat. But more importantly, how are you fellas doing after a week off? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. I think this four day break. Uh, from watching Kings games, it's a little tough to kind of get through, but we're almost there. We're almost at the end. Game tomorrow night, and we'll be rolling again. How you feeling, Joe? Feeling fantastic. The Toffees representing again. Another win, guys. Here we go. I might not have to scroll in the app to find them in the standings too much longer, or the table as they call it in the Premier League. So we're talking about Everton, right? They're your Premier right. League, and no, nobody yeah. knows what the Toffees are. Is that, is that what They will by the end of the season, because okay. if they watch this podcast, they will know. The <laughs> Toffees, Everton, same thing. The boys are buzzing right now. Big win on the road. Uh, love it. Keep it going. That's right, Arby. Uh, we need, something to, we need something to kind of make up for yeah. our football fanship, right? Like, you're What's a Giants that? fan. Yeah. I'm a Charger fan. Random. I mean, I was okay, I was pretty good with Shellacking. Yeah, I was pretty, doing pretty yeah. good with he's, he's doing pretty good. Getting Chase Young coming in there, uh, setting the table. Get to, get to go pair with a uh, little bear there. So uh, enjoying enjoying that there. But 
you know, uh, it's been good. You know, sometimes you need a little break, you know, not that I don't love watching hockey, but you get a back-to-back, you get a day off in another game, and then you got real life going on. Sometimes you can't stay up and watch the games, and, you know, I like to really sit down and enjoy it. So I'm excited for tomorrow to be able to just sit down, you know, it'll be my day off, get some stuff going, cook a nice dinner, you know, have a little one-on-one with uh, the LA Kings hockey game tomorrow. Uh, it should be good. So, but let's get started in here with our first inaugural uh, making it rain for the seat for this season. So let me throw this banner up here and let me throw our boy, Kyle Garcia. Welcome into the chat. Everybody welcome in Kyle here. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Kyle, Kyle, Kyle. <laughs> Guys, calm down, all right? Calm down. Mr. It's just Mr. Garcia. But uh, welcome in, buddy. How are you doing? Doing great. Um, Thanksgiving's coming up, so I have a week off from school. And then right after that's finals. But enjoying this rain coverage and attending some of the Kings games in the press box. Unfortunately, they can't win when I'm in there. Maybe the streak will end sooner or later. Like I was telling Russ on Saturday, it's like we got some bad luck when I'm in there. But hopefully it turns around soon. There we go. You're not the only one, buddy. It's it's everybody that's <laughs> <there> right now. <laughs> yeah, just have the team stay at a hotel during home games at this point. Why not? <laughs> We're getting there. All right, all right. So, Kyle, obviously, uh, with the with the Kings coverage, you know, you have been our uh, resident expert going with the rain there, uh, going to a lot of the practice, a lot of games. Let's let's start with the main storylines because it's been you know full month into the season or a month and a half, so we will. What are the major storylines coming in with with the rain? You know, where do you want to take this here? Well, I would say the first thing with this team so far is it's kind of reminded me a lot like early on last season where they lose the first two games and they win five and then they lose three and now they've won. Um, I believe it's two straight now. They haven't played since Sunday. So it's been a lot of up and down. And um, yeah, it's just been a lot like last season, but I will say the depth has been better than it was last year. Right now, Jacob Doty has four goals. He has more goals than fights actually this season, <laughs> four to three. <laughs> um, but it's been pretty much it depth prevailing, um, little up and down. The consistency has been a little bit of an issue, but I guess you can expect that for a team that's more focusing on developing prospects, which is what the AHL is basically. True. So right now, in case people haven't been paying attention, uh, in the Pacific Division, Ontario Rain are fourth. So games played is 12. They got 15 points. Uh, they're behind Calgary, Abbotsford, and Henderson. Now, storyline starting slow. Does that have to, anything to do with some of the stars? You know, we got influx of Brant Clark. We got influx of Turcotte being 100% healthy. We got a new goal. There's a lot of players, a lot of mixed match. Uh, Fagimo left and came back. What do you attribute to the slow start? And what do you think the Kings can do to maybe – kind of get more consistent as the season goes along? I will say the slow starts of the inconsistency is probably with, especially on the back end. I mean, the first game I was in the press box for opening night, Marco Sturm hinted in his post-game press conference that they're not playing as a unit as he would like. And, I mean, the only returner from the back end from last season to this season was Jacob Mobarari. You have Brant Clark and then Kim Noisiana, but he didn't play much last year. He hasn't played much this year. Then you have... Joe Hicketts, Kevin Kanaudin on the back end, and Stephen Stantini as well to round it out, and including Wyatt Wiley, who's played a couple of games. So, you know, the back end as well. Then you got two new goalies. Um, Valalta's moved on with the Arizona Coyotes organization. Cal Peterson's moved on with the Philadelphia Flyers. And so you have Portillo, who's played four of the 12 games when Riddick's taken eight of the, of the 12. So it's been pretty much mostly the defensive side that's kind of taken the hit. Offensively, the most important thing, you mentioned Turk healthy. I think that's the most important part, him just being healthy and playing games at this point. 
is a really big factor in his development because when he's played, he's actually produced points, maybe not a point per game player in the previous seasons, but the most important thing for him is just, just staying healthy at this point. What have you seen? You mentioned a couple of the, the starts and some slower starts. Um, a couple of names in particular, I think Kings fans were pretty excited about after preseason. We saw Akil Thomas have a pretty good camp in LA. Francisco Pinelli opened a lot of eyes in camp. They appear to be off the slow starts, at least production-wise, uh, at the start of the season. Uh, what have you seen from uh, from those guys, Thomas and Pinelli specifically? Well, I'll start with Akil first. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of Akil Thomas. I think he can be a decent third-line player that can play wing and center, use him on the power play, especially in that, that bumper position that the Reign have had him use when he's healthy the last few years. And he's also played the, uh, the penalty kill, but... Just for some reason, I'm not sure what it is. He just hasn't looked as engaged as I liked. Um, he finally got off the schneid um, last week, Friday, when he scored his first goal of the season. Off, he was batted out of midair off of Alex Turcotte's shot. But I like to see him more engaged. He's improving that a little bit. So um, especially from a veteran, that's kind of a little disappointing from my expectations of him because um, I think that he's trying to fight for that roster spot and putting up these kind of numbers isn't going to really help his case. Now, getting to Pinelli, I was talking with Russ about this on Saturday. It's a pretty interesting one because he's only gotten two points, but I really, really like his game. He's a good two-way center. Um, right now, I think the Reign have him playing at the wing position because Samuel Hellenius is currently occupying that fourth-line fourth center, and they're just sheltering him right now. Um, no, Nothing big, kind of like what they did with Chromiak, but – it's what you see from a lot of players in juniors and technically, well, not technically, juniors and college is that you're playing against guys your age. You're playing against teenagers, guys that are like 18, 20 years old. Whereas we come to the HL, you realize that this league is a lot more harder. It's a lot more physical. It's a lot more faster. You're playing against grown men who are trying to have, like put a something on their name that to stay alive fighting for an NHL spot and even in the AHL as well. So, you know, even Marco Sturm hinted that they did that with Chromiak last year, that, you know, you have to get stronger. He has to, you know, get a little bit faster. The game I was telling Russ is that the plays you make, maybe overseas or college or juniors, you can be late on a, with your decision making. You can get away with it. Whereas in the AHL, there's more structure involved where you're not going to get away with those plays and you have to learn from it. So they had him as a healthy scratch on Sunday, but I wouldn't be too concerned. It's just something that a lot of these players from juniors or college have to go through the hurdle. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, Pinelli, everything we've seen so far coming up, um, he's looked pretty good. So young player just getting his acclimated. But another young player that's just getting his feet wet in the pro game um, is Eric Portillo. And, of course, Holden92 here asked the same question, how has Portillo looked? So you have the guy coming straight from University of Michigan, of course, with the Kings' depth or depth at uh, goaltending, uh, big question mark for the future. Eric Portillo has got kind of a spotlight on him. So, how, how's he look so far? Yeah, I mean, when you're faced as the next future goalie replacing the shoes that Jonathan Quick left, that's going to be a tough one to fill. And well, he's only played four games this year out of the twelve. Um, it's kind of similar to what Marco Sturm did before the Cal Pearson situation, where he had Copley mostly starting and Valalta take a few spots. I mean, take a few starts. Um, to spare him, he's he's looked solid. He's looked okay. I mean, he's really really big. Six foot six covers a lot of the net. Um, but one thing I do notice in his game is that he does have rebound control issues, where he'll give up a big rebound or 
lose sight of it and he has to like make a sprawling acrobatic save where where he shouldn't have to and i was telling russ and andrew Knoll at the game on saturday that he just loves to play the puck and he gave me a little bit of a laugh twice one of them was he got a delay of game penalty for playing the puck outside the trapezoid which <laughs> late in the game luckily it did not affect the rain they were up they had a two goal lead with the minute left yeah it's That's very rare. very rare and the last one was Friday where there was a delayed penalty. He was going to go off the ice, but the puck was coming his way outside the trapezoid. But unfortunately, it was not near the bench. The extra attacker came on. He went to go play the puck and got a too many men on the ice penalty. So um, he's just developing, um, loves to play the puck, Is just got to clean up that rebound control. But I think that will improve as he goes along. I think right now in four games, he's got two, seven, six goals against average and a nine oh four save percentage. So right around as I expected, not killing it, but not absolutely like doing bad either. He's doing what I kind of expected. Kind of piggybacking off that, we'll stay in goal. A lot of talk, a lot of chatter in Los Angeles, obviously, with sticking with the goaltending. Copley's <laughs> had a bit of a rough start. Is there is there reason to bring up big save Dave Riddich? How has he looked so far? I know he's had the bulk of the action in Ontario. Do you think that that with Copley's play, do you think Riddich has earned a spot? You know what, maybe he should be called up, or is it still a little early for that? I think it's way too early for that. Um, Riddich's numbers aren't better than Copley. I mean, not Copley. He's not better than Portillo at the moment. He's got a 279 goals against and a 906 8%. So he's been right around average as well. But I was telling Russ Saturday as well is that let's just say if the Kings were to do what they did with Cal Peterson last season, they were to put Copley on waivers. A 1.5, in my opinion, I could be wrong on this, and feel free to chime in if you guys want to. A $1.5 million cap hit isn't that much. Let's say if someone claims him and Riddick is called up, Eric Portillo is the only other goaltender on, with an NHL contract on the roster. And I think that would be a complete disaster for the Kings. I think... Just keep Riddick in the AHL right now. Maybe have Copley try and find his game. Now, will that leash be short? Will remain to be seen, but I don't think there's any reason to call up David Riddick right now to the NHL. Yeah, that kind of makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, I remember when we had this conversation. Right now, obviously, not a lot of people are kind of happy with uh, <laughs> Phoenix Copley and his performance so far, to say the least. And yeah, rightly no. so, right? Um, but... Like you, like you mentioned, that 1.5, there's a lot of teams out there desperate for goaltenders, right? So not to say that Phoenix Copley is the cream of the crop, but he's shown that he can come in and help teams out that might need it. I just think it's a, it's a risk is, is all I'll say, right? If right now, it's a risk. It's a big risk because like, mm-hmm. like you just mentioned, if you potentially lose him to waivers, I mean, Riddich is the only ones available that has NHL experience and he would most likely be the backup. And then what if say something happens and all of a sudden Portillo's next in line? So that's not to say that I don't see Copley going on waivers and Riddich coming up later because I could see it happening, especially if Copley keeps going down this hill. But right now, yeah. I think you just kind of just status quo right now, right? Yeah, right, right now. Mm-hmm. And I think anything can happen at a certain point. I mean, nobody expected Cal Pearson to go on waivers at the end of November. So if Copley keeps it up, maybe it might force Rob Blake's hand to do something sooner rather than later. I mean – I don't think I'm, I'm with here uh, with Green. I don't think anybody's going to claim a 781 goalie right now, no matter how cheap his cap is. And even then, you know, there's got to be an electrician that can hit get over 800 in, in LA as an e bug or something that we can sign. Uh, but 
I, I mean, I, I jest there. Yeah, I, it's interesting you look at, Kyle, that all, both the stats for both goalies, like you said, right within fraction of both save percentage and goals against average. Does this seem to think that there would be an uptick in Portillo's usage, or does that just seem that Marco Sturm is going to ride the veteran because that's just kind of his M.O.? I think he's just going to ride the veteran. That's kind of his M.O. He did it before the Cal Pearson situation. I don't think it's going to going to change. I think he's just going to stick with it. But um, I do expect Portillo to get some starts. I was hoping more like maybe, maybe a 55-45 split at least. But right now it's been kind of like 67, 33% split. I think the positive spin on this is it can't get worse. Cobbley's out of 781. And yeah. again, we like hashtag goalies. Are would we it, would we really be surprised if all of a sudden he rattled off a couple of decent games in a row? No, I mean, <clears throat> I, I don't know. I, I I know that it's not good right now. And and if this continues, you cannot have somebody who's actively hurting the team. We saw this last season, and that's what led to Quick and Peterson both being on the outs. Is you had two goalies that were just actively hurting the team. So. At least right now it's only one, and they can maybe minimize that. But if, if, if the Kings will be best suited if if Copley can find his game, I think it. I agree, Kyle. I think it's a little early because, for two reasons: one, they kind of they still need Copley for that organizational depth, and two, it's not as if Riddich is lighting the world on fire in the AHL. You mentioned his numbers. It's not as if they we're talking about a guy who's pitched like three shutouts and is and is all over the place. You know, it's it's. I, I still think it's early. I think I think I agree. Copley's got to get better, but I think yes. it's a little early on Riddich. So speaking of recalls, uh, Samuel Fagimo has made the the lap around the earth uh, by going to Nashville for a couple weeks and then coming back here, getting claimed by LA, uh, gets a goal uh, in his first game. Uh, what have you seen from the Swede? Has his energy still been there? Does it feel like he's Back home, um, you know, what have you heard from the organization within the locker room about his back, his arrival back to Ontario? Well, I haven't – I wasn't at the game Sunday, um, but that's the only game that he played. But seeing his interview after the game on the Rain YouTube page is that he just looks excited to be back. Um, I don't think he ever – I don't think his, his body left, but I don't think his heart ever left the organization. He's familiar with a lot of the players. He's familiar with the system. He did get a goal in his return, but – it was funny. I just I just kind of laughed when I saw the news from Elliot Freeman that he got picked, got reclaimed by the Kings. Um, not ever my wildest dreams that I think he was going to come back to L.A. or even get put on waivers twice. But, you know, it gives the Kings some organizational depth at the forward position for any like potential call ups if they won't have any injuries, which we'll probably touch into in a bit later. Um, but, you know, he just looks happy to be back. And if he's happy to be back, then that's the best thing that's possible. OK, Kyle. This has been a topic of conversation on um, on Twitter a bit. The leading oh scorer, leading scorer for the Ontario Reign. Can you tell us a little bit about him? Char- is it is it Houdin? Houdon, Charles Houdon. Charles Houdon. Can you tell us a little bit about him? Because I think in a in a team that has been filled <clears throat> with prospects galore for the last however many years now. You know, we've seen some players that have been kind of HL veterans come in. TJ Tynan comes to mind. And just Martin Ferg. Right, right, Martin Ferg. Great. Yeah. Martin Ferg's another one and be great veteran players. Can you tell us a little bit about, about Houdon and what he brings to the team? Um, and, and what he's done. This is off to a pretty good start so far. Yeah. So one of the one of the things I was looking to see what the rain would do in the offseason was to add more another veteran player with experience because 
Leas Anderson was a free agent, and I had no expectations of him being back. And he was used on the power play a lot, top line player. So the rain needed to fill that spot. Um, didn't know Udon was a free agent at all. I didn't keep much track of the AHL free agents in the offseason as I should have. But um, yeah, he's filling that role ni- nicely. He's not playing on the top line with TJ Tyne as I thought he would be. He's playing more on the second line lately with Mikhail Maltsev and Martin Kromiak. But, you know, this guy, he's a 29-year-old forward, um, got experience, great locker room guy. I was at one of the training camps when the in September. He's like seems like a good family man with his wife and kids. Um, just lights the. He's got a real cannon of a shot. I see someone's put it put it in the chat right there. He's got a cannon of a shot. He's very effective on the power play. The last game though, he did take a scary collision on the boards and he tried coming back and just couldn't couldn't do it. He didn't return for the rest of the game. So we'll see how that how that goes forward for the rain um, down the down the stretch this weekend when they play Calgary. I think one thing that surprised me or caught me off guard with Houdon is he was on the Montreal Canadiens team with Phil Deneau when they went to the Stanley Cup final. So yeah, so there's kind of a chemistry or not chemistry, but there's kind of a connection there with the Kings and Houdon. But it certainly feels like I mean I remember watching him during some of the preseason games and he was just all over the place. And they have him here for next season too. They have him here for next season. He's going to be a guy that's going to stick around for a while. Yeah, it just seemed like him and, and Tynan kind of just meshed really well together. Yeah, he stood yeah. out in the preseason for sure. So we're kind of we're kind of beating around the bush here. Um, you know, we've we talked, we've mentioned Fagimo, we've mentioned Hudon. Uh I would be remiss if we didn't talk about Alex Turcott. But you know, I, I don't wanna I don't wanna hurt Russ's feelings here, but your boy LaFerriere has kind of his his shine has kind of died from the preseason a little bit. A lot of fans are talking about where that is going to come in. Is there is it time for a call-up? Should he go back to the AHL to get a little bit more seasoning? Is it just kind of a little slow spell for him? But all three of those guys, or all three of those names have been mentioned on, on Twitter, so I'd be remiss not to add Hudon within Fagimo and Turcotte. What have you seen from Turcotte first off, Kyle? And then we'll talk about whether the Kings can make that kind of switch. So let's start with Turcotte's game so far. Obviously a point-per-game player before this last week. Uh, he's right there in the top of the scoreboard for uh, for the rain. Looks like he's 100% healthy, feels like he's 100% healthy. Uh, I've seen pictures that his mustache is about 65% healthy instead of 35. So is that the secret to his game, or is he just being Alex Turcotte? I think he's just being Alex Turcotte. Um, he hasn't changed much. He's still playing with that tenacity that he has where he's – plays a lot more bigger than he should from just by looking at the games he looks a little bit stronger than he did the last um couple years so i I don't know if that's true or not but just going by off the the eye test that i have but the most important part like i mentioned earlier is that he's just playing games like he's not having any injuries right now hopefully it stays that way because they really need him to be healthy and develop and that way they can get some value making him why he was picked number fifth overall in 2019 but you know, 10 points, 12 games. The My issue with Turka has never been production. When he's played, he's actually produced points, maybe not as a point-per-game player, but it's just been staying on the ice. I remember 2000, the 2021-2022 season, he got two concussions in a three-month span, and then he had a knee injury last year. He missed about a month. But, you know, he's healthy. He's tied for third in points. And Mikhail Maltsev, even after the opening night, said that he likes playing with him because he can make plays. He's all over the ice causing turnovers. They have him using – they have him on the power play – PK five on five, even late in games, defending a lead. 
So it's just important. It's just great to see Alex Turcott finally just play a handful of games with no like stoppage in between. And that's the most important thing that I've taken away. And I don't care much about the points as much as I should, but it's just more staying healthy than, and the points will just come because he's always shown that he can put up points in the HL. So I, I see a, a little uh, thing here. We'll get to it. Everybody's talking about, uh, did they burn a year uh, of LaFerriere? There was no year to burn. So uh, you can only burn a year. There's only a three-year contract if you're 18 or 19 uh, to have that slide. So because he signed the contract and was a, a UFA later on uh, in his contract, um, there is no slide there for uh, Alex LaFerriere. So he, his contract would have started this year uh, regardless from what my understanding is. So I think they signed um, him a two-year deal last year. So he's at the end of that entry level, if I'm mistaken. Kyle, is that yeah. right, Kyle? Yeah. Who is Leferrier? I think he's got next year on it. Next year on it as well. So they burned off last season, the end of last, last season. Year. It's this That's year, right. next year. I'll pull it up here for sure. But yeah, I think you're right there. Yeah, Cat Friendly should have it. Cat Friendly should uh, have it. So because I think after 19, it's a two year, or after 20, it's a two year contract, I believe. So, uh, but I'll pull that up. So let's get to the meat and potatoes of this, the call up potentially. Um, you know, we've all watched the Kings. So, you know, LaFerriere's game, I think we should start there with, do we think it's warrant of him being maybe sent down for a little bit, a little space? Uh, and then we can talk about the players and maybe who do you think that can plug in the lineup? Drummond hit you first there. Uh, you know, LaFerriere's game, we all loved it to start the season. What have you seen in the last couple of weeks? And do you think it's warrant of a shutdown? Obviously, everybody go read his article because this, his article just talked about this, HockeyRoyalty.com. Joe's a fantastic writer, but and I explained to the people that weren't able to get to the website, shame on you. And we'll get, get going on this. So what I've seen so far from LaFerre, you look at the, the first handful of games, he was, you know, everybody was just adoring everything that he was bringing to the table and rightfully so. Look at the last seven games. He's still shooting the puck. He leads the team in five on five Corsi four per 60. So he is still shooting the puck or at least on ice. However, his high danger, his scoring chances, He's not getting to the areas where he needs to get to, which is a little interesting because you've got Pierre-Luc Dubois and Kevin Fiala, two of the leaders on the team in terms of slot passes. So for whatever reason, but again, I, I think this goes back to that line, just something was off with that line. It got to a point where just something wasn't clicking. So, and as you mentioned, Randon, I, I allude to it in the article that I still think LaFerriere, so I think LaFerriere should stay. I do not think he should go down. My reason is this. Um, first of all, you brought him and he made the team for a reason. He was doing enough right to make the team for a reason out of camp. If you send him down at the first sign of struggle, that's a poor message. You now have to let this player adjust. He's a young player. He started off high. He played really well coming out of the gate. That's great. Of course, there's going to be an adjustment period here, right? This is his first time in the NHL. Teams are going to adjust to him. Teams are scouting him. Teams are scouting that line. They're going to learn how to play against him. You have to give him the opportunity. This is my opinion. I don't know. Maybe you don't have to. I say you have to. Give him the opportunity to adjust back. Figure out how he, what he's got to do next to adjust to that. Because if the first move is at the sign of struggle, you're sending him to the AHL, I don't understand what that message is. Um, so I actually don't agree right now. Maybe later in the season. I don't think it's right now. Uh, I think you – I proposed in the in the uh, tweaking of the lines. I don't touch the first line. I didn't touch the fourth line in my piece. I, I do make a, a slight adjustment to the lines. I put Deneau. I think Laferriere, keep him there. You put him with Deneau, 
and you put him with Kevin Fiala. Something just wasn't clicking with Fiala and Dubois. Their numbers were, you look at their shot attempt per 60, their shot passes per 60, their shot contributions per 60. Fiala is down, down, down across the board. I'm not blaming Dubois, just something wasn't meshing. And I just don't know that neither of them really were, it was, it was almost if none of them were willing to kind of take the reins and control that line. So separate them. Let them see if they can control their own line. So what I would do is I'd put Leferrier with Deneau, who's a known driver at five on five, not afraid to drive play, and Fiala. Let Fiala be that rover, and then and Leferrier can be the more of a pure shooter on that line. I would put more with De, with Dubois, and I think the speed and the north south style of Moore can really help Dubois. And then I have a shooter in Arthur Kaliev on the right side. But to go back to your Leferrier question, as I said. I don't think so. I think you got to let you got to give him some time to adjust through this. Uh, I know the line he's on right now, at least what we saw it last game and in practice with Dubois and Kaliev. I don't like the fit personally. I think it's a poor fit. We'll see. Maybe it works. I don't like it. I don't think it's a best case for really any of those three. I think it's really putting pretty much everything on on Dubois' shoulder in terms of driving the line, which is not totally unreasonable. That's why he's here. But I think with two really still inexperienced guys, I don't I don't love the fit on that line. I do think Turcotte, uh, why don't you Randon? I feel like this was a trick question in a way. <laughs> well, yes, I, I, I I don't want to I don't want to let's 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 let let's let Russ come in and, and sit and, and, and answer something here. Randon, so I gotta defend my boy, right? I gotta defend I know, I know. I like, you, so so your boy was laughy, he's coming in here. Joe's saying that he should stay. Why don't you answer that question? And where do you think that his fit is is in on this team? Yeah, I mean, me personally, I think you should stay too. I mean, the whole thing around the hype, especially most of it coming from me, is I was just happy that he even just made the team. My expectations once he made the team, I'm not expecting Lappy to be a point per game player, let alone even a half a point per game player. That's not what he's here to be. He's just it was just exciting just to see him be on the team. I don't think it's gotten to the point where Laferriere is his play is hurting the team at all. I think he's still pretty solid in terms of helping out, help this team win games. Can there be an upgrade there? Yeah, I think so. But we're talking about a player who's come out of college straight into from in the college ranks where you're playing maybe two two games a week, maybe mostly on the weekends. And now you're playing in the NHL where you're traveling. You're playing back-to-backs. You're playing three, four games in a week. So that's a that's an adjustment period for him. I don't think it's like, – like I said, I don't think it's got to the point where you need to send Laferriere down and just bring somebody up. I mean, what, who are you going to bring up? You're going to put Alex Turcotte in the wing position? It seems like this organization is really set on keeping Alex Turcotte in the center ice position. So you transition him to the wing? Yeah, that could work, but – I don't know. I feel like if you're just going to do that, then all of a sudden you're giving Turcotte nine, 10 minutes a game where he's getting 18, 20 minutes plus playing for the rain. I think LaFerriere should stay for right now for the time being. And maybe you will see if there's some adjustments that he can make with some new line mates. Hey, if he keeps down going down this road where he's not maybe producing as much as you want to see, or some people want to see, then sure. I'm, I'd be totally up for a change. But for right now, I think LaFerriere is just doing what he should be doing. I think he should be playing some good quality minutes, playing good two-way hockey. He's not putting the puck in the net, but he's still contributing here and there. So I'm happy with it. So Kyle here, you know, Trapper comes in here, but a point per month 
you know, is that when it, when is the, when is the rip cord, you know, you know, the NHL is not a developmental league, especially with the Kings this time, they got to win hockey games. Right. Uh, you know, they sat and, and allowed Byfield to develop all last season and he moved all over the lineup. We're finally seeing him develop. Maybe this year isn't LaFerriere's year to show out on the Kings for a full 82 games. Where's the rip cord for you? Uh, you know, how long else are you going to give him? And then let's start with the, you know, putting in some guys that you maybe you would bring up uh, instead. Well, I mean, from the few games I've been in Todd's postgame pressers, he doesn't really name LaFerry as a guy that he needs to see more from. It, he hasn't even mentioned his name. So he's not, I wouldn't say he's hurting the team. The whole line just wasn't playing pretty well, in my opinion. I mean, they're also winning hockey games at the moment. They just can't win them at home for some reason. But I, I say the extension core will be a little bit longer. I, there's no reason to to send them down right now. I mean, like Russ, Russ hit on the head. You're playing two games a week, Fridays and Saturdays in Harvard, compared to like three games in four nights. You have to. It takes some adjustment period. A lot, like I mentioned earlier with Pinelli, the a lot of these college players they got to get used to not just the game. You got to get used to the traveling, the scheduling, the practices. Whereas you're not taking courses anymore. You're up like early in the weight room and all this other stuff. So. There's no need to – right now, I don't think there's a need to send them down. I mean, he's not actively hurting the team. I mean, yeah, he could play a little bit better, but he's not actively killing the team as we speak. Yeah, again, I think the, I think part of his struggles was that line stopped clicking. There's something that was off with that line because it isn't just his numbers. You know, it's it's been – uh, Dubois' numbers were down, his shot numbers, Fiala's numbers. I think I tweeted the other day, his shot contribution numbers are down across the board. It just needs a tweak. That doesn't mean they can't go back together. It doesn't mean it's going to work. It doesn't just, you can always, it's early in the season. We're not even 15 games in. So it's okay to make tweaks to lines, especially when things aren't going well. But I, again, I just think the message is poor if you're going to send him, if the whole point of bringing him into the roster was just to send him down at the first sign of trouble. Then what was the point? Just start him in the AHL. That it makes no sense to me. I don't understand it. You you want to sell me on maybe him getting a then, game? Then then where's then where's your then where's your uh, ripcord? Okay, so I would I want to give it another solid ten games with an, in in a new line, and a new line. Now the line that he's on now, again I tweeted the other day, not the line that I would go with because you've got two guys in. In theory, it's got potential to work with Kaliev and LaFerriere because both of those guys, they're shooters and they shoot first and that's what they do is shoot, right? Neither of them, at least early on this season, have been much in the passing game. They're both in the bottom five in, in shot assist per 60. Neither of them are really playmakers to date. Dubois can be. Dubois is somebody that does both. He has the ability to be high shot attempts, high shot passes. He gets slot passes, so there's there's a potential here, but it just, I think it's limited. I, I, I think it's limited to have these two on the flanks. It's not the line I would go with, but I would give, I want another solid 10 games at least for LaFerriere with a new line and a different line situation before I really am going to pull the trigger on sending him down. Do you, could you sell me on sitting the kid in the press box? I don't know how often or what guys, maybe certain guys get things out of that. I don't know if I totally subscribe to that, but I again, I keep going back to he made the team, and you're going to send him down after a month because he had a, a, not even a bad start. He had a great start. He's had a bad handful of games. I don't get it. I don't. I, I'm not. It's there. been what, what four or five games that we're talking. There was the I road think, trip. I think that we got to show a little bit more. 
the whole line right here. The line yeah, seems to go sour on the road trip. Exactly. Uh, it's not like the focus isn't on Lafarriere's problems right be. now. Yeah, it's it's, it's on Dubois and Fiala. Like that's the those are the names that are coming up in terms of we need to get those two players going. We don't need to get Lafarriere going. And it right. shouldn't be Lafarriere that's driving play. It should be Dubois right. and Fiala. Those but but that's players. but that's where the money's going. Exactly. That's why. That's why. Be, but that's why they're the focus, but doesn't mean that Laferriere can't play better or shouldn't be a player or isn't even worthy of a, of a lineup spot at the moment. You have 100%. Jad, who hasn't played one single game, I don't believe, to my knowledge. The first one. one. Okay, one. so, like, could you spell him? Like, could this be a goalie situation where, where like, on the on the back half of a double-double, you give Jad a start to, to let – you know, to let him acclimate to the double double. I mean, I don't know how big that is because you play double doubles all the time, and especially when you're in, you know, college, your games are actually back to back every single week. So, you know, maybe that's not an issue. I, I don't know what it is, but like to say that, I guess I'm just a fan of playing devil's advocate. To say that it's like, okay, let's just wait and see. That's not a game plan for me. Like that's or well, not to put any or not to put any urgency on his his game isn't a game plan for me because. This season isn't a isn't a season to let him marinate. This season is to win hockey games. And if we're not doing that consistently, or if he's not helping in doing that consistently, then we need to move on. Fair, but the biggest, things, the, the biggest problem for Laferriere right now is the the fourth line is playing so well. That's the biggest problem for him right now. Because he would fit in so well with Lazat and Carl Grunstrom <clears throat> just right there on that line. I would love to see it. But the fact that Lewis, Lazat, and Grunstrom are playing so well. McClellan doesn't want to break him up, and I totally don't blame him. You you have a, yeah. a line that you you can rely on that you can just throw out there, and you don't want to fix or you don't want to change anything. So that makes sense. He even, he even mentioned that Saturday that he wasn't going to touch it touch it up either. He said that that line's been money, and if a line's been if a line is producing or playing well, you don't touch that. In my opinion, uh, again, uh, the game plan for me is not just necessarily sit and wait and do nothing. It's to tweak his line mates, give him a ten game stretch here with some new line mates. And see what happens. I, I I think that I agree, Rand, and he can't sit here and do nothing all season, as if unless he's showing progress. Like remember, we've saw Byfield play on that top line without producing, but you're seeing signs. So perhaps if Lafaria starts to show some of those signs, but again, I just want to see it with a different line combination. We're gonna see it with a different line combination. Like I said repeatedly, not the one I would choose, but we'll see if it works. It might. Um, but I I and I think the assumption that. Oh, we'll just send Laferriere down and bring up Turcotte. What does that mean? How does that automatically make things better? Like Turcotte doesn't have a, exactly have a long run here. You know, I would bring Turcotte up. I think he deserves to be up. Wouldn't be for Laferriere, in my opinion. But that's a story for a different day. You know, it's it's. I don't think you got to let him adjust out of this. You have to let him work through this. If after another ten games or so, it's still. He's really, really struggling, and he's he can't find his game. Then maybe the time is to send him down. I just don't think it's the first sign of trouble. I, I think that's a poor message. And it, it does sound like, from what I heard from McClellan the other day, it sounds like there's a chance that Jared Anderson Dolan actually could draw in tomorrow night. So we could see this change come right away. And that's just based off of Anderson Dolan's play these last. What he had two goals in the last game with Ontario, right, Kyle? Right, two goals, and one of them being an empty netter, and the other one off a fleet um, assist from David Riddick. Yeah, so I mean, I'm with Joe here. Like, I'm not saying that he just needs to stay the whole season. Like, I, sure. I'm, I totally understand there needs to be something there, but let's just give it 
a little bit longer here. That's all I'm asking. Just give me a and little maybe bit a longer. Press, maybe a game or two in the press box. Let him watch from above, kind of reset, take a step back. He's had a chance now to play a bunch of games. Now watch him from above, get a different feel for it. Maybe that's – I know coaches like that. I it, I think it just depends on the player. Some guys may like that and be able to get something out of it. Some may not. But I, I think it's worth the shot. I, I can buy that. I, I don't buy sending him down and inserting Turcotte into the lineup as a solution. If the lines stay the way they are, I'd rather have Turcotte than LaFerrier in that current line with PLD. I think he adds a different element. But I see your logic. I, I yeah. yeah, I, I see your logic there. No, I'm just saying that that's just that in that line specifically. I sure. get you know, I, I, I get that. I, I can see that. You know, and, and the kid the kid's gotta do what he's gotta do. You know, he's you know, obviously he made that team for a reason. The whole line was game boxers. We saw multiple games, I think two preseason games in a row where they combined for what it was like nine total points between that entire line. So like, it's not like they haven't had connection. Sometimes you need to shake some things up. Yeah. Todd McClellan's not just going to leave it, uh, you know, cement there. Uh, but he's not given many options because as you guys allude to the first line is playing well, the fourth line is playing well. So Kyle, to wrap this all up here, uh, I'd be remiss if we didn't have a making it rain without talking about Brent Clark. Oh boy. Uh, so what, what have you seen from the defenseman? I've seen goals. I've seen him uh, make some young mistakes as far as the, the immaturity by a lot of people. I personally liked it. I like the cockiness, but other people are, you know, saying that it's a little bit immature moments. What have you seen from him? How has he gelled with the locker room? And you, you know, what, what can we look forward to? I think Clark's just, he's just come just as advertised. So I was looking at it late last night. Um, I don't know what made me do it. So I looked at, Rookie defenseman um, stats in the AHL. Brent Clark it leads all rookie defensemen in the AHL in assists and points. And the Ducks have a good – going off topic a little bit, the Ducks actually have Olin Zellweger, who's second behind them in points. So it's going to be a fun battle to watch those two go at it in a, in a few years. But Brent Clark has – he's looked just as advertised offensively. Defensively, they have him paired with Jacob Moverari, which I like because Moverari can cover up for his mistakes that he makes, especially on the defensive side. But he just he looks confident with the puck. Um, the first game against San Diego, he he actually had ten shots on goal that game. He was firing the puck left and right, especially in the third period. He uh, <laughs> he <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah, he um, Brent, oh, not Brent Clark, Marco Sturm actually after the game said that you know he wants to be that difference maker. That you know he was their best player that game, and if he wants to be the difference maker and he's showing it, then you know he's living up to the expectations that we all have been waiting for him to see. But I do like that that cockiness that he has. Um, it was the second game of the season against San Diego. He got hit from behind, had to go to the locker room, comes back out, scores a power play goal, and he's like motioning for the guy to come out of the penalty box right after. And that was the only game he actually took a – he's taken a penalty this season. It was a 10-minute misconduct for one of the goals. He was doing too much of this with the official and some of the goals players. But, you know, he hasn't taken many unnecessary penalties, but there's a couple times where, he should, where he's looked out of position in the defensive end. But as – He's mentioned that Jacob Movarari is there to cover for his mistakes, which, you know, it's a perfect pair because Movarari's got that veteran experience and Brant Clark's that rookie who's going to provide offense. And you know what you're going to get from Movarari on a nightly basis. And Brant Clark, he, he's doing just fine. Um, just leave him in the AHL right now. Um, unless an injury happens, no need to no need to rush it. Just let him keep developing. That kind of combination kind of sounds like a Clark paired with an eight-year contracted Mikey Anderson uh in the future so <laughs> I, hey, I, like <laughs> I like it i like it there uh dowdy uh you know is saying over my dead body from uh his home right now but you know in the future is the future there 
Well, Kyle, it's been a pleasure making it rain. It's been duly missed on this uh, on this podcast. Uh, the fans have been aching for your name to come out here and spread your wisdom. That is all Ontario. <laughs> Please follow him on Twitter at uh, was it four H O four H O F no H O F four Kopitar Kopitar four H O F Kopitar four H O F yeah yeah actually I butcher it three times. It's Kopitar four H O F there. All right. Give him a like. Give him a follow. Um, you know, on his uh, Twitter feed, we're gonna be having him on. Uh, you know, every month. Uh, and try to maybe a little bit sooner more than that, but we definitely want to get you here as is rain news. Kyle, appreciate you guys coming on. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Kyle. Kyle. So we're going to kick it over. Kyle is one of our buddies, and we're going to kick it over to our next buddy here at Raycon. So THN is sponsored by Raycon here. Let me pull this up. Oh, wait, it fell. Con difficulties here difficulties here so it may be too early to start decorating for the holidays but it's never too early to start your holiday shopping why not take care of it right now before all the crowds are packed calendars make shopping a total nightmare especially when you can get some of the best deals of the season before black friday that's right before black friday you can shop raycon products right now and save up to 50 percent because their early black friday sale is going on now now you guys have heard me talk about raycon once before and i Love them. I ended up trying to purchase a pair with this set discount, always in the gym, working out. Uh, and I can never find earbuds that fit my ears while I'm doing, you know, doing these jumping jacks, lifting and, and trying to get a good run in. The fitness earbuds are top notch. They're designed to keep you in the zone as you work out. The latest updates add multi-point connection. I got these big old ears here for this fat head and they stay in my ears all the time. That's my biggest pet peeve when working out. They also have active noise cancellation. So you can just hear your tunes and nobody jabbing at you with the boosting of the same beloved design that fits right in your earlobes. So Raycon has made the name for themselves in the audio space with products like their everyday earbuds or the workout earbuds that I just talked about. Known for delivering high quality and thoughtful features like 32 hour battery life and perfect ear fit all day wear lasting comfort and this past year they have expanded their entire business with the introduction of raycon home and raycon power tech their five-star reviewed magic 180 cable allows you to charge ios micro usb type c devices eight times faster with a hundred watt power delivery that's fast their faucet filter alter filters water against your tap so if not only you're going to electronics covered your agua is covered as well. It's a must-have for ensuring your water you use to wash your face and brush your teeth as is pure as possible. Raycon is known for delivering high-quality and thoughtful features at half the price of other premium tech brands. It's no wonder that they've racked up thousands, tens of thousands of five-star reviews. To get everyone in this holiday shopping spirit a bit early, Raycon is offering 20% off everything on their site with up to 50% off. So beat the crowd, save now. Trust me, you do not want to miss out on this Raycon early Black Friday sale. Hurry now to buyraycon.com slash THPN to get 20 to 50% off state uh, site-wide. That's buyraycon.com slash THPN to score up to 50% of Raycon products. Buyraycon.com slash THPN. Uh, if you didn't know, that was a uh, uh, ad read for some sweet electronics. Get yourself some of that right now. Let's move it over to the Pacific. A couple of news. We we did this last week, and we went down the whole chart. But there have been some big bombs uh, coming in here with the Pacific. First one is a uh, team up north in Canada. You know, the Oilers, I uh, didn't know if you know this, fired their uh, head coach pretty pretty early in the season. Edmonton's in the dumps. Uh, the only team that is worse than them is 
the Sharks. So big surprise here for me. I thought they would kind of ride it out, try to ride the ship. But eventually you have to do something. And I, and I guess hire, firing the head coach was the big thing. Joe, what do you think of this move here? And and was this a desperation move? Was this needed just because of where they are at? How do you feel about this? No, it's a desperation move. I mean, it's, it's something where, you know, somebody kind of has to fall on the sword, I guess. I mean, it's it's hard to say, at least for the public data, that they were doing much wrong in terms of analytically, the way they were playing, the the way they were controlling the games. I mean, it simply came, I say simply, again, there's just more to it. There's almost always more to it, but they weren't getting saves and they weren't scoring goals. And those are kind of two pretty important things in the game of hockey. When you're not doing either of those, it's going to be really tough despite how much you're controlling games. So, you know, they can change the coach all they want, but yeah, the shank master puts their down two with 16 minutes. So it's the same old story. Like if, I mean, this, um, and I don't say if it like it falls on the players either. Like they're clearly they're they're generating chances. They're one of the better teams at generating chances. Again, they're one of the actually one of the better teams at limiting high danger chances. So they're not doing too many things poorly. It's just when it comes to that final execution, the pucks aren't going in and the goalies aren't making the saves. I don't know that how a new coach fixes that. Um, I think this is more. You know, I think there's a lot of questions around. Ken Holland, I think this is much more on him than it is Jay Woodcroft. Um, but I suspect Ken Holland wasn't going to fire himself. And uh, for whatever reason, nobody decided to can him first. So um, I that's where I'm at. I don't necessarily think this is on Woodcroft. I quote unquote get it because you kind of the team is where they were. So something's got to give. Um, I don't know if it was the smart move. And I don't know what because now what do you do when if it doesn't happen, if it doesn't turn around? Now you're stuck because um, now what's next? So it's it, it'll be too little too late at that point. So I don't know. Um, think it was tough luck, desperation. I don't I, I don't know what it does. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you. It's just it's funny because a lot of the metrics and a lot of the just watching the Oilers play, it's like deja vu. It's like I'm watching the Kings from last year at the beginning of the year. They're making, they're playing really well overall. They're making those kind of dumb mistakes, just individual dumb mistakes that lead to goals on the other end, and they're not getting a save. And I don't know, maybe like you've seen some maybe different st structures defensively or something like that. But I mean, all all the metrics point to them still playing pretty well. Of course, McDavid isn't up playing McDavid level hockey, but I still think he can get there. But it's just like. It just makes me glad that the Kings didn't go that drastic to a point where they just felt like they had to fire McClellan. They made the goaltending change first. And I'm wondering, like, maybe if the Oilers should have kind of seen that road out first because it was the goaltenders. Point Blake. I mean, you kind of seen what Jack Campbell has done since he's gone to the AHL. They just weren't really getting much of a save. So why didn't they make a move there first and then maybe see if they wanted to make a, a coaching change? Because, like – like Joe said, I mean, why isn't Ken Holland getting more of the blame than Jake Woodcroft is? Like, I get it's easier to change a coach, and you never want to blame the players. It's it's the coach that always falls on the sword. But, man, I mean, when you go into the season, the way that the Oilers were built, I mean, I don't know how you can rely but on is, Jack is Campbell the... and Stuart Skinner as for your full season. It just didn't make sense. I mean, especially with the way that some sometimes the Oilers that play, they don't play that defensive style hockey game that we've seen in the past. I mean, we saw a little bit toward the end of the year last year, 
especially when they got Ekholm. But I mean, we haven't seen it really at all this year. They're still trying to score a lot more and try to score outscore their opponent more than they are trying to play more defense. But at this point, I think it's just I more mean, Jay Woodcroft just falling on the sword. I know he wasn't like lights out as he was towards the end of the season, but did did anybody really have a qualms with Stuart Stuart Skinner on that team? Like, I mean, Stuart. Like, so, like, no. everybody say like, oh, Ken Holland should have known. Like, they had, it's like to be honest with you, like if you would have pulled everybody that I've ever talked to about how much they were worried about the Kings goalie t- tending situation versus Edmonton, they would a hundred percent said they were more worried about LA because of the way Skinner played the end of last year and this year. So obviously he's been abysmal. There's no way around that. Jack Campbell can't find anything right now, let alone his keys, let alone a puck. So I, I just, I, is that really a GM's fault at that point? Knowing that, Hey, we rode this guy last year. He gave us half a season of quality goaltending. Do we really need to bring somebody in? No, the, the issue isn't Skinner. The issue is not Skinner. Skinner's a young goalie. He finished in the Calder last year. We're seeing this with young goalies. Look what Devin Levi's doing, struggling. Look at Gustafson in Minnesota, struggling mightily. The issue is not Skinner. Like To expect him to just jump in and be the number one, I'm still bullish on him, and I, I expect him to turn it around at some point. I still think he's going to be an okay goalie. The issue is Jack Campbell. And you're right, Randon, like this offseason, what are you going to do? You got Campbell, he's locked up. The issue is why did you sign that deal in the first place? That anybody not named Ken Holland saw this coming. That's on him, full stop. This was not a difficult thing to forecast. Everybody forecasted this. It is a huge, huge mistake to do that because – The thing is, and everybody criticizes the Kings goaltenders, and I get it coming into the season, but what is it that we've talked about on this show? It's hashtag goalies, and part of that is what you pay goalies, okay? There's no risk in this Kings team virtually. It's their million-dollar goalies, and if they struggle, that is the risk, but you'd rather have a a goalie struggle at $1 million than a goalie struggle at $5 million because at least the Kings can – they can do other things with the with that money that they can't do. Edmonton can't do because they got so much money tied up in a bad goaltender. They have a lot of money tied up in a bad goaltender, flat out. Jack Campbell has had spurts of competency, and that's it. I, I'm sorry. like He's not a starting NHL goaltender. And the fact that they gave him that contract was insane to think that, and that is what screwed them. The 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 fact that Stuart Skinner is a young goalie has had some ups and downs. That's going to happen with young players and young goalies especially. The issue was he put himself in this bind because of what he did with with Campbell. And, you know, listen, we, we talked about it with Rob Blake. Like, he bit the bullet and said, well, I had this bad contract. Screw it. I'm sending him down and putting him on waivers. And, you know, he, he then he trades freaking quick. Like, I, I talked about last year when the quick trade happened. That's what you want your GM to do. You want him to have a set of whatever to make a deal like that and to make a drastic deal like that. And Holland didn't do that. I mean, yes, he sent down Campbell, but I think it would have been better off that he tried, as Russ said, to try to find a way, easier said than done, especially at this point in November, to acquire a goaltender before you fire the coach because – the fact that your team isn't making saves is not Woodcroft's fault. It is your fault, Ken Holland. Mm-hmm. So the, the Edmonton they Oilers. That, they didn't have an insurance policy like their Phoenix Copley waiting in the, on the back end. So I mean, Edmonton they don't really Oilers, have anybody besides Calvin Picard. Yeah. 
have so Edmonton always have a first, a second round pick. They don't have a third or a fourth. Obviously, it's going to take somebody to take a first or a second and some probably some other things to get rid of Jack Campbell for them to actually make some moves in this situation. We'll see how aggressive Holland can be to turn this thing around. It's got to happen sooner rather than later. Um, because as we know, you know, I put out that article we talked about on the pod, come American Thanksgiving, 60% of those people making the playoffs are already in the playoff position. So it's gonna be hard to make that push no matter how high scoring there is. Uh, and I think if the season ends this way and how terrible they are, uh Ken Holland doesn't have a job either at the end of next season. So um let's switch over to the other terrible team uh in Alberta, which is Calgary. Uh Zadorov, uh a lot of funny things up there. A lot of funny things up there saying, hey, we've been awful. I apologize to the fans. And now he's requesting a trade. Is, is there a market for this guy? Um, and is is his play this year warranted for a team to take a chance on him? Is this another situation of the King or the Calgary not being able to find uh, that magic? Because, uh, you know, the stat man extraordinaire Joe has lost uh, entire paychecks on analytics for this team, but they can't seem to win games. So, Russ, what do you think? Is there a market for Zidorov or is there – is this just blowing smoke and, and he's really just going to have to fight the bullet and stay in Calgary? No, I mean, absolutely. There's a market for Zadorov. Zadorov could probably, I mean, if it were, if the trade deadline was tomorrow, he'd probably be one of the more like hottest commodities on available just based off he's his top is his contract's not that high. I think, I think it's like three, three, three point five, especially seven, five. trade deadline stuff. Three point five, seven, five, three, seven, seven five. five. So yeah, I mean, really, I mean, nothing mid season. The, the, the weird thing about this is like, if he was a door off, like just why didn't you just wait? Like, I understand maybe he's just really impatient. Like, the writing's on the wall. The Flames aren't gonna probably make the playoffs, they're not gonna win a Stanley Cup anytime soon. This team was more than likely gonna trade all their UFAs to try to lock up some more future assets because they really don't have that many. Because for some godforsaken reason, they decided to trade for Jonathan Huberdo instead of get some first round picks or some young prospects for Matthew Kachuk. So now you're at this point where you tried to go all in and try to try to win, and now you have these UFAs that you can trade for, which is fine. But now Zadorov is like just said, "Hey, I don't even want to go through and wait. I just want to be traded right now." So you kind of handcuffed. If you're Craig Conroy, the GM of the Flames, you're handcuffed because now all the teams that are looking for Zadorov who don't really have the cap space, more than likely, because not a lot of teams have cap space. They're kind of in the same boat that the Kings are. They don't really have the cap space to even fit Zadorov's $3.75 million contract in right now. Later in trade deadline, sure. But at the moment, no, they don't. So now that trade price that Zadorov would probably got maybe a first-round pick and maybe a prospect tied to it at the trade deadline, that cost is going to come down a little bit more because teams aren't willing to shell out all that salary cap money to fit him in there. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think Zadorov is a great player. He's not like a top defensive player, maybe even not even a top four defensive player. I think he could be a really strong bottom pair or middle left pair, left uh, side defenseman for a contending Stanley Cup team. And I think that's where he'll end up going, whether it be Toronto or any of these other big markets that he's rumored to go to. The bad, the worst thing for Zadorov is there's not a spot on the Kings because if we've seen uh, a coach in a situation turn barely mobile left shot defenseman into damn near all stars, it's Todd McClellan and Trent Yanni. I mean, look at what the left side of the D looks like with Gavrikov and England. These are guys that were not wanted by a lot of teams for probably pretty good reason. And they are just flourishing in Todd McClellan's system. So I think Zadorov would fit perfectly in Los Angeles, but there's obviously no room for him. So yes, he's a high commodity. There's a 28 year old 
monster defenseman. He's what GMs covet. I don't think he's that good. No, Russ, I agree. I think he's a bottom pair D man, but I think people would teams would pay more than that because of just he's big and you know he hits people and he's been around in the league for a bit. I think I don't know. I go back and forth. I don't I don't think it's that big of a deal. Maybe we'll see what happens. I don't know when he actually gets traded. I mean, Conroy doesn't have to trade him right now. He can say what he wants. He doesn't have to trade him until he feels like it. And I also wonder that that I think there could be teams that that see themselves as like, you know, so often players don't become available early in the season because teams are tight against it. Well, now a pretty big player could become available in the, in a team's eyes. So maybe they'd be a little bit more willing to be aggressive early. I don't know. We'll see how it shakes out. But I just get the sense that he he got to his breaking point. He's been pretty vocally frustrated, um, you know, this season. So um, I, I guess it just got to a point where he's had enough. I do enjoy his agent um, with the tweet that he sent t- calling him the best defenseman. I don't think he's top five on his own team. So I don't know what he's talking about, but – uh, but yeah, he'll, he'll, oh yeah, there's going to be a big market for Zadorov. We'll see how that shakes out. And, and, and but I'm, I think um, I am, and all Kings fans are loving it that Alberta is near the bottom of the standings. They're on fire. Real, real and, quick, uh, I'm going to ask you guys if, if the trade deadline was tomorrow, and let's say that the team is still playing kind of like the, the defensive grouping for the Kings is still playing kind of the same the way they're playing now, do you trade for Zadorov? If you can fit him on the salary cap, Brandon, you first. No, I think England offers something similar. He's playing, he's flourishing, and I kind of like his. He's tactical with how he delivers what he got brought in to do, which is toughness, which is like the fighting. Like he's, he doesn't see, he seems to do it more often when the team needs it and rather just randomly. Also, he's not a target uh, like uh, Lemieux was, you know, to the referees where you're looking for a guy that has that kind of uh, clinical. Uh, you know, rat mentality to him. And it, are we really getting, are we really getting that much more? I mean, Steven comes in here as Zadorov eats more minutes in England. Is that, but he would have to play higher up in the lineup to eat those minutes. Like you're, he's not playing over Mikey Anderson. He's not playing over Gavrikov. Like, are we really going to improve that much now? Like you would have to move out England to get Zadorov. So are, does that limit what you would pay for him? Like it, it would lower the pick. To where then Calgary can flip Ungland somewhere else. I just think right now, if they're playing exactly how they're playing today, I don't think we make a move. Yeah, I would have to agree with that caveat of assuming that Ungland is going along the way he's going. Let's be clear Nikita Zadorov is a significantly better player than Andreas Ungland. Okay, yeah. let's, let's not get it twisted. But. Andreas Ungland is flourishing in this system, and that's all that matters right now. Okay, they're not playing in a vacuum and they're not playing in a one-on-one out in the street. This is a, in a system that Andreas Englitz is perfect for. Zadorov, point taken, would be perfect for this system as well. Um, but if anything, I think he's too mobile for for uh, for that left side. And, and England is just mobile enough or just not mobile enough to where he does exactly what he needs to do and exactly what the coaching staff wants him to do to play within the system. And so far he's been far exceeded my expectation uh, just as Gavrikov did last year. I think, again, if you're look at, I mean, if you're a, in what's Ryan Graves, he's like 29 years old. He signed like a 97 year deal with Pittsburgh. When that deals up, 
he should find wherever Todd McClellan is and just go play on his team because he has turned these left shot defensemen into all-stars that are big, not that mobile, so-so. It's fascinating what he's done, and it, it's it's made me look like an idiot a couple of times. But I've I'm learn I'm yeah I I I think Zudov's a better player, no question. But if England's playing like this, I don't know. I I'm I I no I totally agree with you guys, and actually I think Liebs pointed it out in the chat right here perfectly. He said I wouldn't, which is crazy because what we thought of England 15 days ago. And it's like 100% true. Like, if we had asked this question to us, like, would you trade for Zadorov at the beginning of the season? I think all, every Kings fan would have been like, yeah, let's do it. Like, having Zadorov as your third pair bot left side defenseman to begin the year, I think it would have been great. But the fact, like what Joe mentioned, the way that England has been playing, especially with him and Jordan Spence, it's like you want to see this, this ride out. You want to see what this can live up to because that pair has been so wet playing so well together yep. and now it's just like okay well the kings have found something here in this pairing with england and spence i just wonder like like that's why i'm kind of like uh like i didn't want zadorov to request this trade or i don't want him to get traded until the deadline i just want him to be that insurance policy because let's say that it does fall off the rails with england sure. and now all of a sudden you have zadorov available because like joe said he would fit in perfectly for the kings right now but the fact that england's playing so well with spence you stay with how it is right now, and you see you see where they go. Well, because you have to look at we we it's similar to Laferriere, but backwards. Because the first handful of games, England was not very good. Yeah. The last half of the so last seven games or so, shoot, he's been great, right? So the, it's we're still in this early stages of trying to figure out, and he's done a good job of adapting and learning the system, learning the team, learning playing with Jordan Spence, and it's going really really well. So hopefully it continues. But let's not forget, this is a career journey. Maybe journeyman's unfair, but he's not an established NHL player, which is why I say, like, Todd McClellan should be these guys' kids' godfathers for what he's done to, these, to their careers, getting them paid and giving them opportunities. Fantastic. It's fantastic. All right, all right. Let's switch over to our next sponsor here at DraftKings, uh, which is at DraftKings. The bet the action with DraftKings Sportsbook. Tomorrow there's a couple key bets there. You got Red Wings. Uh, and centers, Golden Knights, Canadians, Devils, Penguins. Got a lot of games going on tomorrow. Let's flip it down here uh, to the LA Kings. Our plus 180 uh, with a negative 1.5 goal differential there. Over-under is at 6.5. So place your bets there for the game. Do a couple parlays with the games in, in the recaps there. But DraftKings always has you down uh, for the best odds. Download the app now and use code THPN. New customers can get 150 bucks in free Bonus bets for just betting $5 on hockey. That's code THPN only on DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NHL. The crown is yours. Bonus bets expire 160 hours after the issuance, so get gambling. Let's get on to the Kings here. So game recaps is what we're going to be doing. Kind of a little here. Kings get seven points at a possible 10 some ups, some downs, huge win in uh, in uh, Vegas or against Vegas. Uh, kind of dropped uh, dropped the drawers there against Philadelphia. Even though I didn't think the team didn't play or play too didn't play too bad, um, but you know some key shots went in for Philadelphia here. What was kind of the the main thing was the mix up of the middle six. So let's start there, and uh, obviously you know separation of Fiala and PLD. How has that looked so far? You know, obviously we've only seen one game really with it. 
Russ, what have you seen in practice and heard from the organization on what was needed here? We obviously heard Todd McClellan speak. Uh, maybe you can start with that. Yeah, it seems like the main focus for this change is to get P.L. Dubois and Kevin Fiala going. And that's it's no secret that those two have been, I don't want to say struggling, but it, it's weird because if you think about it, like the problem, it's like they have the same problems, but not really. It's, it's hard to explain, but with Kevin Fiala, he's producing, right? He's got, he's getting points doing Kevin Fiala stuff, but then he has the other Kevin Fiala things that are happening with bad turnovers, poor, maybe defensive play. So it's kind of a mixed bag with Fiala with Dubois. He's not really producing, but he's not necessarily hurting the team either. You're just kind of hoping to see more. So it's like Kevin Fiala is noticeable in the wrong sense and in good senses, but it's more extreme where PL Dubois is just right in the middle. He's not really doing too much. So I get the I get what McClellan is doing, where you you just have to maybe separate them, try to figure something out. Maybe they can light something up. I just don't know if I agree with the actual lines that he's deploying out there. It's it's weird. Like I do to know more and Fiala. We've seen it happen before. We saw it happen last year. It took a little bit for them to get going, but once they got going, their metrics were looking really good. But as far as Dubois with Leferrier and Kaliev. I understand the reasoning behind that too, because McClellan mentioned the other day, you you want to see when Dubois is at his best, you want to see him driving play. And with those two players on his wing, he can be the alpha with the two younger players there. But it's just, I don't know if those three players really mix. Like it's only like Brandon said, it's only been one game. They haven't, they never even practiced before that game even started. So now you get a couple practices in, you get the Florida Panthers in coming in tomorrow. We'll see how it goes, but I get the mix up. I just don't know if I like the pairings to start, but we'll see. Totally get the mix up. Totally don't get necessarily the the the, the duo that they're with. I mean, um, you, you mentioned, Russ, that they're kind of both doing some things well. Like, it's not as if they're hurting the team. They're two and three in shot assists per 60. Kevin Fiala leads the team in slot passes. P.L. Dubois is fourth in slot passes. Like, they're, they're involved, but there's just – you could see something wasn't clicking. It just wasn't working. And the point I made in the article that I wrote about the lines that uh, was – and you mentioned you used the word alpha for Dubai. There's a difference between alpha and being a line driver. Like, you can drive the line, but you don't have to be – the alpha per se. I just think you had two guys in Dubois and Fiala that just weren't meshing. There wasn't a click there. I really think you put somebody like a Trevor Moore next to PL Dubois. Because here's the thing. Let me go first to Fiala. I think he'll eventually figure it out with anybody. Like if you left him with Dubois long enough, he'll figure it out. Randon calls him an amoeba. He'll figure it out. I think he's going to be fine kind of wherever he goes. And we've seen him and Deneau work in the past. They've got some pretty good metrics and a decent amount of time together. So I think that'll be fine, those two. Trevor Moore, when I picture him, I picture the way Dubois likes to skate. He comes with the puck. Oftentimes he's entering his own through the middle of the ice. He's looking to make a play with the puck. I think when he made a dish to Fiala, you know, Fiala was instantly like, all right, I'm going to figure out now what I want to do with the puck. He wasn't thinking shoot necessarily or pass. He was like, let's see what's going on. Let's see what's going on. See what opens up and I'll figure it out from there. Where you get somebody like a little bit more direct with Trevor Moore. I think if he's able to dish to Trevor Moore with speed flying down the left wing, 
he's going to go to the net with it. And he's going to have a chance to get a puck on net. I think it's a little bit more direct, and I think that will help Dubois. And Trevor Moore, I mentioned – I mentioned the slot passes. He's third on the team in slot passes. So this is somebody else that isn't just a pure shooter. He's somebody that can also make plays and look to be creative. He's a puck hound, which is, again, I think he'd be a perfect fit next to P.L. Dubois. I, in the article, put um, the line of of Kaliev next to them just because I figure you've got a guy that's very north-south, a guy that wants to drive play kind of through the middle of the ice – both guys are capable of being good playmakers, good passers, good in the shot assists, good in the slot passes. Arthur Kaliev needs to find his way to get to that spot to get open, and they can both um, and they can both find him. So I think that can work just fine. I, again, I don't love the fit with with uh, what I like about Moore is he has the ability to make plays as well. We haven't seen that from Kaliev, and we haven't seen that, in my opinion, yet from Laferriere. So I think it puts so much on on Dubois and you've got a guy that he now has to kind of do a little bit of literally everything like I don't view Kaliev I know he had a couple of shifts here and there with the no line about him being kind of like that puck hound I don't know that still that's really his game right he adapted a bit to fit with that line with more I don't think that's him I don't know yet. LaFerriere, that could be there. But again, we haven't seen him be a contributor in terms of shot assists. Maybe it's because he was playing with both Dubois and Fiala and they were kind of hogging him, if you will. So maybe that has a chance to open up. We're still learning more about his game. But I don't know. I I don't love the fit. I, I would like to see Trevor Moore next to Dubois. I think Trevor Moore can really help open him up. I would have just flipped the centers. That's what I would have done. Just So you have you – have- yeah, PLD with Moore and Kaliev, and you yeah, have Fiala, Dano, and Laugh. So, like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, just, yep. I don't know if that's what you said in your article because yep. I read. Well, I, didn't it say that, I didn't say it that way, but that's that's simple as that. Yes, okay. that's that's a less complicated so, way to say it. I, I I just think it's like okay, you have then you have you have a play driver in and Moore. You have a, a PLD who can do a little bit of everything, and a guy that wants to shoot. And then you have the same thing on on the next line. So we'll see how that works out. Sometimes. Though to Russ's point, you like you need the alpha to be the alpha. And I think this might not be what T Mac is thinking, but it kind of just sparked my interest now that I just said that. Is this is this kind of a call to PLD to get his act together a little bit? Hey, we brought you in, we're paying you eight million dollars. Sometimes you just need to drive the line and be dominant. And I'm gonna put you with two guys who are inexperienced. You're gonna have to do that. You're not gonna be able to fall behind another guy making seven million. And Let's see, kind of. Let's see what you can do. Let's kind of put the pressure on him a little bit. Like you, you signed a contract here. You want to be here. You said you're going to work on your 200 foot game. You said that you're here to win championships. Okay. Well, if I put you with two inexperienced players, can you drive that line and hold, uh, and hold that line for 12, 15 minutes a game? Maybe this is a call for him. Maybe this is kind of a way for Tom McClellan to challenge Pierre Luc Dubois. And this is not really where he envisions this whole, uh, you know, top nine to go yeah i i that's possible could be a way that he's that he's challenging him i and i i, I want to make sure that we talk about this too in a in a different way and i mentioned at the end of the article was the kings have went pretty much the first 13 games of the season i know because calia was suspended there's a little bit of tweaks in the start but they haven't touched the lineup at all since calia has gotten back that is not the norm right thing 
t- line tweaks, guys in and out of lineups. That's much not even mid game, right? We haven't even seen like right. That's much more common than what we've seen from the Kings so far because their start was good. But just because the start's good doesn't mean you're not evaluating your team and your lines. And you can you can see like we could see it. So McClellan sees it. it's not rocket science. There wasn't something clicking there, and and eventually something had to give. So I'm okay with the switch. Again, I just don't know agree with the exact switch that he's doing, but I think it makes a lot of sense for them to to split them just to see how it works. And the thing is, nothing say you can't go back. You can always just go back. This, you can do that. That happens. It's an 82-game season. You're not going to run with the same lines for 82 games. You're going to mix it up. You're going to try to find ways to see what works. Remember, Dubois is still a new player. You have Laferriere, new player, that, that McClellan is going to try to see, okay, who's going to – fit how are we going to fit with these guys and really he's just making a small tweak right now because luckily there isn't a need for a wholesale change you don't have to touch the first line i understand the logic in not touching the fourth line right like they're going well so that's fine make some tweaks to try to see if you can get a couple of your key guys going nothing wrong with this i think there's some people that are still looking to see more on pl and i'm myself included i mean we were big proponents of the trade. Not all of us, right? Every Everybody is looking to see more of P.L. Dubois. I mean, we're big proponents of the trade, and I do the trade over again, 100%. You appreciate this, Joe. Is I actually got to meet uh, Caro, part of the, one of the bannermen uh, at the game the other day. And, and I don't know if you guys have ever listened to their podcast. They do great stuff. Um, but they were actually pretty against the, the Dubois trade. They were yes. questioning it. And so we had a good conversation about what we've seen from Dubois these last few games. And I, I told him that, like, I would be remiss if I, if I had said, like, it, I didn't want to see more. Like, I do want to see more sure. from Dubois. And I, I see that there's moments where people can see the, get the perspective when watching Dubois where you're, you're, he gets that lazy kind of treatment or that tag to him. And it's like you don't really necessarily see him maybe cycle down close and, and want the puck on his stick. <laughs> he always kind of – if you watch him, it's like he's always waiting for the play to happen, and then eventually the play, the puck gets to him. But when he has the puck, I mean, we've seen it. Like when he, when the puck is on his stick, he looks incredible. He's just willing. He's a bull in the china shop. He'll drive straight to the net and try to make things happen. We've seen it like th- at least three times already this season. Just, I just want him to play on the puck a little bit more. Like cycle down, demand that puck from your defenseman, and cycle down low because there's been times where. You just kind of see him floating a little bit toward the blue line, waiting for someone else, the defenseman that gets. And I, maybe that's the structure thing. But I don't know. I just want to see a little bit more of that play driving aspect from Dubois saying, I'm going to demand this puck in our defensive zone. I'm going to skate it out and try to make a play myself. And then we'll see what happens from there. And that's kind of maybe that's why him and Fiala just haven't really mess, meshed that well because that's kind of how Fiala plays, right? He's like kind of waiting for the play to happen. And then he's going to go out and try to make something happen in the offensive zone, twirl around, do his own thing. So I just think that there's something more that we need to see out of P.L. Dubois. I don't think he's been bad, like I mentioned. I don't think he's been great. But there's another there's another thing. And like like Todd's mentioned, I think he's playing – he's kind of – he's not really beating around the bush, but he's kind of saying, yeah, like we're waiting to see a little bit more out of Dubois. And we got these two young younger guys playing with him. Maybe this helps him a little bit. Yeah, I think it's going to be something interesting to see where we go with that. And – uh, I mean, that was going to be the next topic, but I guess that is the topic we've been talking about this whole time. I think it's interesting to see what we're seeing from them in that shakeup. 
let me maybe throw it in a different direction. How is how has both Fiala and Pia looked on the power play? Uh, and Trapper coming in here saying, "Am I the only one that's more excited for power play two unit?" No, you're not the only one. I've been way more excited with how they've been playing. So how how has Fiala and PLD been working on the power play? How has that kind of evolutioned over ten games? Joe, I know you've been kind of keeping track of that as well. I mean, I don't want to kind of beat this dead horse and say it's as simple as they miss Victor Arvids and they miss that righty. It's it's really it just throws things off, and I don't think they've really figured out what has worked and what kind of, you know, because when you have the setup that they had last year, you can get comfortable and you get used to making certain, certain plays, right. Depending on, you can make plays along the top and then depending, maybe a shot opens up from the top. Maybe you make those plays around the top. You can maybe make that cross seam pass. You can go down low for that one touch. All of a sudden you mix in something a little bit different. And it's just, again, it, it sometimes that's all it takes. It's just, it's just a little off and they're trying to figure out ways to make it work they're trying to figure out different avenues to make these plays that's a little bit different and I, they just haven't found it yet i think it's possible that they could um but you know not having you know uh, I, this is this was something that we talked about not having a playmaking righty has become maybe it's a bigger issue than i expected it to be um and i'm sure it's probably a little bit more than that that's maybe a little too simplistic just to say it's all that but I definitely think that that's a factor. I, I really do. We saw the preseason. I mean, Arv I go back to a play that Arvidsson made in the preseason. It was a great play that set up Kempe on a power play goal. We saw how good the power play was last year with Villardi as a righty down low. They don't have a playmaking righty on the roster. Um, it's, just, it's just what it is. So they have to figure out a way. To, they almost have to, like, jumble up both units, really, uh, if they really wanted to mess with it. Uh, and I think actually in practice, they might actually be doing Russ, me. You may be able to speak more to that. If, if I might be wrong, I thought I saw a tweet from somebody. They've been trying something different in, in practice, but uh, I don't remember who I saw it from, but yeah, I, I think the, the, I don't, I don't really subscribe. I don't, I don't get more excited for one unit over the other at all. Um, it's just, I, I want that first unit to, to get better. I just don't think they've figured out yet. They're, they're trying. You can see they're trying. You Frustration. You can clearly see that they're trying to figure this out. And if you're going to say because the goals aren't going, that they're not trying and they're not doing this, they're not – that's – they're clearly trying things. Look at the movement without the puck. Look at the different avenues that these guys have gone. Guys are playing in different positions. They are clearly, clearly trying to figure out a way to make this work. It just hasn't fit yet. So I don't buy the fact that they haven't been trying to make this work or haven't adjusted properly or whatever. Like they're clearly trying to make it work. It just hasn't clicked. And maybe it won't. And maybe they do need to make a, a, a personnel adjustment. But I think that's where it's at right now. And it's, yeah, it's, I'm sure it's, fr it's a frustrating time for some of these guys. I think one thing we're seeing more is not, not necessarily that the power play unit, the second power play unit is you get more excited to see them. But I think Todd is giving them a little bit more ice time than he would at the start of the season. Usually it was just like, hey, whenever we get a power play, let's throw that first unit out there and then we'll keep them out there for a minute 30 and then the second power play unit gets 30 seconds. And we're which done. is the norm, by the way, in the NHL. Yeah, which is which is normally what happens. Of course, you want to have your best players down there and the man advantage. But now the way that the second unit is playing is there's times where you're seeing that second unit go out there before – uh, and maybe sometimes it's just because they're tired. It is what it is. Or that first unit's tired. 
But that second unit is definitely getting a little bit more more time. And I think a lot of it has to do with the progression we're seeing out of Quentin Byfield. They're just they're they're seeing a little bit more out of Byfield in terms of his play down low. I mean, just overall play. I think it's just been yeah. impressive. I mean, I love the, the showering of praise from for Quentin Byfield just around hockey media has been outstanding and I'm loving it. Like the, the NHL world has started to take notice and they should because of how, how good he's been. But I think yeah. it's just a lot of it has to do with how he how he's played in that second unit overall, as opposed to they're outscoring the first unit a little bit more. So maybe there's a little bit more uh, criticism on that first unit. Sticking with the power play, like what would you um, recommend? I mean, what what do you do? I think I think there's something that I, I don't know. What what would you do? I have an idea, I guess, of a way that you could maybe mix it up. But if if you're keeping you have to change the personnel on that top unit somehow you have to find a way to to make the adjustment to either the other option is to put a right-handed shot in the bumper then but the problem with that is the playmaker has to come from the right side and who's on the right side your shooter adrian kempe you don't want to take that away from him so yeah you could put a righty in the bumper but again like I just I, I don't think that's ideal because the I think you I think they want Kempe to be that one time option from the left side, whether it's Fiala feeding in from the left circle, Kopitar, or what would have been a down low righty. With that kind of taken away in some fashion, I, I don't know that the righty in the bumper is really the answer. So I don't know. I, I think it's a tricky one. I don't know. I don't know what you, you just if, hold what status quo on that first unit for the time being. Kind of like the same conversation with Laffy, just Maybe give it ten more games or so. I mean, a lot of the benefit, the benefits that McClellan has is the record. They're eight three yes. and three, so yeah. you have that leeway to kind of see how things go and let them figure it out before you have to make these drastic changes. What we have uncovered, what we have uncovered, because I'm assuming Victor Arvidsson's done. Okay, I don't know. I know there's reports, whatever. I think he's done. I'm, I'm just assuming this. I've obviously nothing. Whatever. I hope he's not. I really hope he comes back. He'd be a perfect fit into this lineup, but I don't. I'm just assuming he's done. What the Kings are, what we're learning is what playmaking pass first right hand shot that can play the power play will be available at the trade deadline. Start the rumor mill, Russ. <laughs> Let's get looking. There's a lefty free agent American that's out there trying to court teams out. Does it? Does that help? No. You, no. Okay. No. You're not a Mr. Patrick no. Kane. No. I just thought, I, I mean, I, it's kind of like nostalgia. I think it would be really cool to see 88 Kane. You know, it would be cool. Sure. Sure. Be cool. But there's no need. I, I'm not a proponent for it. I just, no. I just think they, uh, so the, the, uh, the, the tweet that I saw for the power play was that they're having Dowdy on the half wall and having Fiala at the point. I don't know. Yeah. I think I saw the same. I don't remember now where that came from, though. I, apologies. For whoever it was, but so you know, maybe they're trying that to have a little bit more righty on that side, having two one timers being able to feed and rotate. But we've seen it obviously, they try to get Dowdy back up top if he goes down and cycles down low. You know, that's just kind of how it's been proponent. So, you know, I don't know how that works out. And I know it scares everybody to death having Fiala up top with all the recent uh blunders, uh, leading to goals going the other direction. Uh, you know, especially since if a mistake does happen on a pass, then Fiala is your supposed to be your guy that's stopping a two on one. 
And I, you know, I don't like those odds either. So like, is that really who you want up at the point? Uh, the only other guy that I could think that would be up there that would maybe work would be Kopitar because he is defensively sound. Does that help your team there? I don't really know, but they, like you said, Joe, they, they've been cycling. They've been doing a lot of things, trying to find avenues, trying to switch it out from a one, three, one to a diamond. They, you know, box up, they're doing all kinds of stuff to try to make things work. You know, Kempe, somebody said Kempe, I don't believe has had any power play goals yet. Holden 92. Um, you know, he was the epi, empty net merchant for a while. He got a couple good goals there. Five on five. You know, I, I think with the power play two unit, just feeding Arthur Kaliev and chaos goals are coming from chaos off of that there really doesn't seem to be an identity for the first power play unit to where there's no, there's no process what you're trying to do. Every time Ovechkin steps on the ice, you know, the puck is going to him, whether you like it or not. And you see Edmonton when they were uh, at the top of their game, dry was that number one, uh, number one option on the power play. McDavid drew as many defenders to his side as possible. And then they tried to still get dry for that one time. So, I don't know where the identity comes from. I don't know who establishes that or where they get that from, but it just seems like they're trying to play schoolyard football where you drop a play on somebody's shirt and everybody runs their own route. And that's kind of what it seems like what it is right now. And I don't know how they fix that or who is supposed to be, is supposed to be doing that. So the, the identity for the power play, the first power play unit specifically is Adrian Kempe is one timer. But the problem is, is that the entire NHL knows that's the identity of the power play. So now it's just about how do you adapt when that shot is taken away because we're seeing teams account for Adrian Kempe now. So now it's like the teams account for dry side. Yeah. Like where, I mean, why can't we fix that? I think the identity was, was more than that though. Last year too. I mean, because remember they used that bumper quite a bit. Gabe Velarde was instrumental on the power play. Um, um, Fiala was good on the power. Like, I think, yeah, they, they're probably their main, their, maybe what you're getting at Russ is their main look was, and they want it to be Kempe, but last year they had options. If Kempe was away, they knew exactly where they were going because they had it all orchestrated. The, the, every play they had was all set. Um, now it's different. So if Kempe's that, that play's gone, they haven't figured out what the, what plan B is and kind of plan B and plan C. They haven't figured out what that alternative is yet. So I, I, I think that's something that e- either has to, it's going to have to come or, you know, we're going to have to see a change. What, so let me, let me ask this. Cause last year it was, the team was firing on all centers on the power play. And a lot of our goals came from special teams. Now this year we're scoring a, way more on five on five. Is there a version of the team that you prefer do you prefer to have the goals coming from special team looks or do you prefer a more consistent team five on five and you kind of deal with the dip that we're having right now? Oh man, I sign up for the way that the Kings are playing hundred percent. If you give me a quality five on five play, a good penalty kill, I don't care less if you're not really scoring that much in the power play. Like if, the, if they're running, I think they're running like a 70% clip on the power play and like 87%, they're like fourth in penalty kill. Totally fine with that. It was the last year, last few years where it was the power play was doing okay, but the penalty kill was just killing this team. I mean, that's what killed the team in the playoffs, right? It was just the penalty kill couldn't stop the Edmonton Oilers in the power play. That was the problem. And a lot of it has to do with the Edmonton Oilers being the Oilers, but when you can't (laughs) kill a power play, you're kind of trading back and forth. And that was what the Kings were doing last year. 
you're not going to win a lot of playoff series doing that. So penalty kills doing good. I'm happier with special teams than probably what I was last year. Yeah, and I I think the I mean I, I the, the power play's got to click at a better percentage. I to your question, Randon. I mean I tend to you know I'm I'm be, I'm a big believer. This is why a lot of the stuff that I look at and track with like the shot assist and stuff, it's only five on five because that's where the vast majority of the game is played at five on five. And I think if you're doing things right at five on five, special teams can be a little bit more uh, volatile. So yeah, I trust the five on five more, but. But, you know, the, there's there's way too much talent, in my opinion, for this power play to be sub 20%. So, yeah, it doesn't have to be top five again, um, but it should be upper half of the league. And I think that's what makes you a team that is, you know, where the Kings are, where are they third in the division right now, where if your power play was clicking, you might be first in the division. And that, that makes a difference in home ice and playoffs. That may make a difference in winning a playoff round. So... Yes, I, I prefer this the way it is if I had to choose, but the teams that can do a little bit of everything are, are generally the ones that are going to go the farthest. Let's flip it over here to, I know we briefly touched on it with the call-up of potentially of Riddick with Kyle. Thank you again for Kyle for coming on here on Making It Rain. It's going into the crease here. The the downtrodden of uh, play of, of uh, Copley has a, uh, has – may Talbot play more games than what we were comfortable with to start the season. Uh, we both were wanting that 50-50 split, both Coley's to earn that. doesn't look like that's going that way right now. Uh, most time you have to get out of a slump by playing more. Copley hasn't earned that. So where do you see the goalie situation? How much more of an uptick are you comfortable with with, with uh, Cam Talbot uh, for this team? And, and where do you think like the next 10 games go? I think, oh, man. I mean, I still want to see Copley get a little bit more games here these next few. It's it's weird. The schedule that the that's set up for the Kings is there's a lot more breaks in, involved in some games. I think they play, what, three games, and, and then they have another three-day break. Mm -hmm. So I wonder, if, I wonder what the split will be. I'd like to see Copley get one of these next three games, get the Panthers at home, get the Blues at home. Then you're in Arizona. I don't know which one. Maybe maybe Copley gets the Saturday start. But yeah, I mean, I am. I'd be I'd be lying if I said I was wasn't worried about Talbot's playing right now in terms of the amount of starts he's getting. Not not just the quality of his play, but just the sheer amount of starts he's playing. So it's just like you just hope he can eventually keep it together for the whole season. Because if not, then the, the Kings are kind of stuck at that at that point. So. You have to keep riding Copley. That's the thing. It's like you're you're not gonna just go away from him altogether. You're gonna have to still keep giving him games. And yeah, if he keeps struggling the way he is right now, these next three, four starts or so, then you're gonna have the conversation of trying to bring up Riddich and maybe putting Copley in waivers. But I don't think we're at that point yet. I still want to see some more games out of Copley, see if there is something that he can fix out of his game. But I mean, I am worried about Talbot's uh the amount of games he's playing. I am more worried about the amount of games Tablet, Talbot is playing than I am about Copley's play. Copley needs to play. It's got to be better. I don't think he's going to be great. I think he's an 897 to a 904 save percentage type of goalie is what he is. But if he can deliver that as a backup or a 1B, then that's, for now, for what the Kings are operating with, that's okay. He's got to find that. I do think it's too early. 
because if you send him down and then Riddich comes up again, there's this assumption that Riddich is going to be better. I don't know why that's an assumption, <clears throat> but that's what it is. I don't think I think the the chances of Riddich coming in and you know putting up a 900 save percentage over the next 10 games is just as good, maybe even a little worse than Copley putting up a 900 save percentage over the next 10 games. What's happened already doesn't really matter. I think that Copley he'll be better. I don't know. He's again, he's not going to be great, but I think he'll be better. Um, but I agree, Russ, he's got to get in because you cannot ride Copley too hard. I would, I, or uh, Talbot too hard. I imagine he's going to play probably two of the next three, which is fine because they've had days off and they're going to have more days off after this. Uh, after that, as you mentioned, they've got kind of a wonky schedule here. So kind of works out in the King's favor to be able to play Talbot that steady two out of three. Um, I think um, I, I'd be comfortable playing. I don't think it matters who he plays against. Like you got the Eastern Conference team in Florida. That can make a lot of sense playing against an Eastern team. You know, it's not a team that you're worried about points wise. Um, and then you've got the two Western teams with obviously Florida's the best of that bunch, though. So I, I understand that logic. So honestly, I don't really care. When I look at these next three games, it, it doesn't matter to me. None of them are division opponents. Doesn't matter to me which goalie plays which, um, but Cal Copley needs to play one of these next three games. They got to figure him out. He's got to figure it out. Would that I'm, be the secret I, to you though, Joe? It's like if, if they're playing division opponents, you want Talbot in net right now. And if they're not playing division opponents, you kind of like let him try to get his wings. Is that kind of what you're. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. Like division, or again, I mentioned Florida being an Eastern team. So you're not really worried about giving away points. And I think the one thing Tal Copley, like the, I think he gets points in almost all of his games. Is he lost in regulation? Yeah, uh, he got pulled in that Arizona game. Oh, that's right. That one counts. Sure. Then they, yeah. But yeah, like he, it's kind of weird. It's it's been kind of odd. But yeah, I, I think that that's that's kind of how I would operate. Randon is is kind of that way. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it, when 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 possible, when doable. The Kings play that back to back. Uh, Black Friday, I believe, in Anaheim, and then the next night they're at home, Montreal. I would love to see Copley against Gibson in Anaheim. Give me a rematch. Yeah, I, maybe I, that. I maybe that. something. Maybe something <laughs> unlocks out of Phoenix. Maybe that rise of the Phoenix comes out again. That is the exact opposite of what Randon just asked me. I would play Talbot, <laughs> and I would play. <laughs> no, but he, come on, it's it's, it's Anaheim Ducks. They just got shelled for eight by Avalanche today. Like, come on, like oh, it is the Avalanche. Oh, he's he's just hoping for a Copley Gibson fight. No, exactly. That's what I'm trying to say. I I'm trying to say. I, I, I will say I absolutely loved what McClellan said about Copley, uh, asking when he was asked about his confidence in him. It's like he's been. It's been six, seven periods of him in the NHL this season. Like we're just gonna all of a sudden lose confidence in him. Like no, that's what that's what players want to play for coaches like that. That's mm -hmm. not gonna just throw you under the bus or or maybe even be critical of you just because you've had bad games. Copley knows he had bad games. Yes. These aren't, it's not a secret to anybody. He's, he's probably thinking like, sure, I should have had that those wraparounds that, to end the game, or even the overtime wraparound, or even the shorthanded goal. Like He knows. It's not a secret. But if you don't have that confidence from that coach, then you're probably your confidence is going to get shaken up a little bit too. So let's just see what we get out of Copley a little bit more. We'll go from there. I just We're, we're seeing Copley maybe do a little bit too much. It, like we don't, we don't need you to do too much. Just stay in your net, make the saves you're supposed to, and then, you, then you'll win games. And some of those plays we saw, especially in that Pittsburgh game, especially that first goal where that Sidney Crosby wraparound, 
if you look at it, that play right before there, there was an icing. That fourth line, I believe, was the fourth line for the Kings, was, was. on the ice. They were tired for like a full minute. Great he job by Mike out, He reached <laughs> out and tried to get a stoppage and missed the puck. Sidney Crosby was wide open for the wraparound. Copley doesn't need to be doing stuff like that. Just stay mm-hmm. in your net, let your guys play good defense, and make the saves you need to make, and you'll win games. I, I, go, I go back to what we did. We said with Laferriere, like, to he's on the roster. He made the team. Laferriere has started great. Now he's had a rough stretch. People want to send him down. Don't get it. You want your coach to say, no, 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 he's here. He needs to work himself out of this now. We're going to give him the leash to work himself out of this. It's the same thing with Copley. There's no need. It's not like you have Dave Riddich in the AHL. It's not as if there's like the – you don't. it's not even if like the Flames who have the AHL goalie of the year top prospect. Well, if you had that in the AHL, Okay, maybe I'm a little maybe I'm a little more willing. It's Dave Riddich, guys. So no, I, I think you have to let Copley f- figure this out. And if he doesn't, then again, we have a GM who's clearly shown he ain't afraid to make a move in net if he needs to. But it's too early to 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 make that move, in my opinion. We're not even to, uh, as they say on all the other Canadian podcasts, American Thanksgiving yet. So like, it's too early. It's too early. I haven't played twenty games yet. Something to think about. You said that if RV doesn't come back, the LTIR, maybe that goalie comes at the deadline if Copley doesn't figure it out. And that'll be something to think about when it comes to February. Uh, We're running here almost to two hours here in the next 20 minutes. I don't want to get that far. I just want to hit this real quick. You mentioned it, and I, and I want to give some pubs to some podcasts, PDO podcasts. Uh, Nathan Gav from Sportsnet both did do- uh, documents on or podcast on Quentin Byfield. I know all of us Kings fans are saying that, hey, we don't get enough publicity out here. Well, your boy, the number two overall pick, got some uh, for that. So go ahead and listen to those. I'm about a quarter of the way through both of those, so we've got to try to hammer those down and, and see why Quentin Byfield's playing so good. If you guys were to put a reason why he's playing so good this year, what would you guys say in a quick answer? I think a lot of it has to do with the game is slowed down in front of him, and that's probably not the most analyst-driven answer, but it just seems like he's just making plays uh, that we probably didn't see a lot from him when he first came into the league. Maybe the, it was just play was too fast, and we just couldn't – maybe the decision-making wasn't there. But some of these little passes and stuff he's making – and also, it's just – he's just getting points for the good play he's getting, too. A lot of, that's This is a lot of the same play that we saw from Byfield toward the end of the season last year. It's just now the production's coming along from it. But there's also a lot more. I mean, in terms of his skating ability, it just looks incredible in terms of, like, not even just straight line speed, but just that agility. It's just, like, you have to, like, kick your – pinch yourself and remind yourself, this guy's six foot five, 215, 20 pounds. It's just unheard of to see a player of that size be able to stick handle in such a phone booth, in a small phone booth, and then be able to spin and and – skate himself out of situations just incredible like we're witnessing a player that the nhl really hasn't seen before and if he can grow up to that potential that we all envision him to be i mean this you're talking about easily a 100 point per game player or per game 100 point per season player coming up into nhl so i'm really excited i think we're starting to see it's just now now my head's starting to wonder when does that contract come in That'll be the next question mark as we get closer here to December and January. 
Yeah, I mean, what you're what you're seeing, and I think part of it's the game slowing down, Russ. I think that that is a huge, huge part of this. We've talked about that a lot, and I think he's because of that, because of that game slowing down, I think he's gaining more confidence. He's being much more assertive. When I look at his his shot attempts last year, he had 11 shot attempts per 60. This year, 16.7 shot attempts per 60. That's five, and that's a 5.7 increase, biggest on the team so far. Shot assists last year. This is my biggest gripe with him last season, and, we, and even early, early this season. Like, I want to see more about him making plays. Like, yes, he's involved in the plays, winning puck battles. Like, he's in on the forecheck. Like, he's he's there. Like, he's dry. He's helping to drive the play. But I want to see a little bit more in terms of a playmaker. That's what we're seeing last year, 19.7 shot, 9.7, excuse me, shot assists per 60. This year, 13.5 shot assists per 60. One of the tops in the team. He's seeing some of the biggest increases from last year in shot contributions. He is involved. He's playing with confidence. He's being more assertive. And, it, and it's all starting to come together. And with all that, with all that more contributions and shot contributions and everything, the production's coming along with it. So it's been great to see. I think one part of his game that's the biggest note that's popping out to be more than any is his forechecking capability. Because now that we're seeing a player who's confident, who's assertive, he's going, he sees a loose puck, and he's just straight hunting for it. And you know a lot of people are maybe wondering and, and hoping that he'd throw his body and use his weight a little bit more? No. Let him use that reach he has with that long stick. And if he gets that first touch as mm -hmm. a forechecker and disrupts play, then all of a sudden you have Andre Kopitar coming down there, just going down there, protecting the puck and making plays happen and getting the puck over to Adrian Kempe. That's the big, big part of an improvement in, in Quentin Byfield's game that I'm seeing. I mean, and that's just unlocking a new part in terms of his overall playmaking ability once the puck gets in the offensive zone. Yep. I, oh, the thing I'm seeing much, and it was kind of eloquently put in the PDO podcast, the first part of it was his play along the boards. Uh, has greatly improved, uh, and that's a big part of the game for for LA. And what we are noticing a lot of the times last year is he would get one touch and pushed off the puck, or get one touch and not be able to make a play, or make a play to not the right person. And so now he, I feel like he looks way more comfortable on the boards, almost like he's in the matrix. He's just like in slow motion, dodging, looking, and and he knows exactly where to go with it. I think that's been a big part of the game, the comfortability. You know, according to the podcast, has been through his feet, but I think it's been through his vision a little bit, knowing where people are at, being more accustomed to the NHL game and, and where Kopitar and Kempe need him to be and allowing him to be more comfortable on the boards. And we're really seeing that first line really gel and, and kind of being that puzzle piece that the, that each other needs. Um, that speed has always been there. He's using it more comfortably. I think he's got a better first step uh, this season. You know, I mean, he's put on weight every single year, uh, and I think it's just – you know, good weight, strong weight within the legs uh, for that size. So congrats to him. I'm glad he's getting national recognition. Um, you know, Lafreniere is starting to turn it on. Obviously, Stutzla mm -hmm. has had an 80-point season. That 1-2-3 might not be looking too bad, just like the 1-2-3 this year. Bedard, eight goals. Leo Carlson with a hat trick. Uh, so, you know, it's got it's got some good young talent uh, coming in the league, and it's good, it's good to see. I love Leo Carlson. This rookie class is looking incredible. Yeah. In terms he might be, of he's going to be my one of my favorite players. Leo, I can see it. All I right. mean, the thing is, too, is that he's not even the best rookie on the team. I mean, Tukov is the best rookie on that team right now. It's insane the way that kid's playing. I, I love that kid too. <laughs> Zellberger's not even up. Guys, the Ducks yeah. are coming. The Ducks are coming. Don't look at the score today, but the Ducks are coming. <laughs> <laughs> Lead coming in here, but uh, 
Well, I appreciate you guys. Thanks again for uh, Kyle coming on here and talking about that rain. Appreciate you guys in the I chat. Love, I love Please. the chat real quick, just kind of the bringing up the scores <laughs> i said don't check the score yeah <laughs> gotta listen here people you gotta listen so yeah thank you guys for coming in please hit that like i know I, we we say it all and every content creator says it but it really launches our and algorithms up the up the the numbers there so please hit that like button uh you know leave a couple more comments in there share it to your family and friends we really appreciate all your support uh we got some stuff coming down the line so keep an ear to the grindstone for some updates coming next week um, and then obviously we got the holidays in there, so we'll see maybe if we're going to go Tuesday or Wednesday, we still haven't really worked that out. Uh, but, uh, thank you guys for coming in. Always hockeyroyalty.com. Please follow all of us on Twitter. They've been scrolling along the bottom of uh, the video here for a full hour. So appreciate all that. And as always on this podcast, go Kings go. <laughs>